This is Bonjour Chai, the Latka who couldn't stop screaming about BDS edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Alana Zakon in Toronto and David Sklar in Calgary. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, we will debate all the big questions, like how bad is the U of T BDS resolution? Are there words we should not be allowed to say anymore? How many Hanukkah parody songs is too many? We will be joined for two of those segments by Tyler Samuels, but before we get to any of that, we need to resolve the biggest debate of them all. Alana, are you Team Latka or Team Sufganiya? Okay, so I can't really eat either of them most of the time this year. I haven't had one of either at all since Hanukkah started because I'm gluten intolerant. And every single Hanukkah party that I've gone to, someone has put flour in their latkes. Like, you can use potato starch and it seems like nobody is this year. So this year, I'm team let's make some gluten-free options. Is that a good answer? Sure. <laughs> well, so you, you mentioned sufganiyot, or as I like to call it, the devil's bread. Um, I was thinking about this a lot in the past two days, and... I'm thinking for Hanukkah, you know, oil is the reason for this holiday. And latkes are the oiliest, oiliest of the two. So I am definitely siding with latkes. They are the original way to go about celebrating Hanukkah. Well, first of all, uh, you've clearly not had some of the donuts that I've had recently. Um, and they will easily... <laughs> I have never had a good souf ganiot in my life. What? Where have you been? Okay, never. I have to say, back when I well, I've had when I could eat bready things, um, my favorite was the one with the sugar around it. Like I didn't, I'm not a jelly person. I didn't like the inside jelly. I liked it with chocolate or just like with the sugar on the outside. If you go to like one of those, I mean, I don't know. Are there anything in Calgary? Are there good kosher bakeries? Maybe that's your problem. Well, first, I mean, we have donut shops. Definitely, we are not living on that's the frontier the here. But no, it's like we don't have great kosher shops here, and 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 that is. But then it's not a sufganiya. It's just a donut. There's a difference. So maybe someone we need to invite someone from Montreal or Toronto to open up a good kosher bakery in Calgary. There you go. Maybe you can start it, David. Uh, sure. Okay. So, but I mean, I'm you not didn't... getting up at six in the morning, Alani. You didn't answer the question though. Oh. Generally speaking, given the right options for Ooh. yourself. Are you Team Latka or Team Sufganiya? Like in terms of what I like better or what? Is... You have to pick one, oh, right? Oh, that's of so the hard. Two. Uh, hmm. They're both really good, but I feel like if Hanukkah... Yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 <laughs> bear with me here. I'm trying to imagine Hanukkah without Latkas and it feels wrong. Whereas like if I didn't have a Sufganiya, I would be a bit sad because they're very good. But I feel like Latkas are like the main thing. Does that make sense? They they definitely they definitely are. And if I think back to what, growing up as a kid, my mom would make Martha Stewart latkes, and that was the thing that signified that is so wrong. Is coming. That is wrong. I wasn't going to say it sounds. But... Oh, no, 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 no. I, I will fight you on this forever. <laughs> Martha Stewart makes the best latkes. Did you pour like Aunt Jemima syrup on top? Hey, you're not allowed to say <laughs> that anymore. No. Um, so That's foreshadowing. Wait. So okay. Yeah. So um, look the. The answer is obvious, right? Right, that it's latkes, right? Let's be honest, right? I'm sorry, Alana, yes. but uh, I mean, that's my, it's not even my opinion. This but is But I fact, agreed with right? you. This what is... do you mean you're sorry? Okay, perfect. Done. Thank you. So we're all on Team Latka. And ultimately, right, it's all because nobody makes good enough donuts. When you have a good donut, it is sublime. Oh, yeah. Right? And I can shout out some great donuts that I've had um, this week alone. Um, but it's harder to mess up a good latka than it is to mess up a that good donut. That is a donut. good point. Um, and um, to, add, to add to that point beyond, let's be honest, um, these things have a rapidly defined, like declining half-life. And if these things aren't fresh, right, not fresh latkes versus not fresh donuts. True. I mean, latkes are still edging out by a little bit, but not by much, 
right? So you've got to get this stuff like fresh out of the oven within or out of the frying pan. Uh, otherwise, I'm team nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. So wait, I want to know, do you put anything on your letkas then? Because I Ooh, go plain uh, all I do. the time. But go ahead, Avi. So, so this is my big theory as to why donuts have made a big th- comeback or a big resurgence, not a resurgence, um, in the Jewish world um, is because we love sweet things. Right. And my proof that we love sweet things is that we can't take something which is savory. And clearly people that like latkes, it's because they like ultimately savory things, can't have it without some sweet on top of it. Mm. Right. You got to put some applesauce on there. I was, right? That's the way that like, no, no, not me. I don't have I don't, that. I'm a great, okay. you know, I'm fine with a totally fine with a clean, pristine latka that is done beautifully. So boring. Um, but I always did sour cream. I, I'm OK with it. It doesn't mean that you can't have other wonderful things. Yeah. Fair enough. I didn't like applesauce when I was a kid for some reason. Um, now I, I like either. If it's like good homemade applesauce or sour cream, I really need to make myself some latkes this week that don't have flour in them. I'm having this conundrum in a lot of areas of my Jewish food life where when I see a really good challah on Friday night, I actually get like a physical reaction watching someone eat a piece of really good challah. Like it was bordering on sexual... <laughs> My friends were making it's, fun it, of me. It, it, they it, like... it probably pales in... Hold on. We need to examine that. Alana, we need to examine that. It happened the, the other day. The sexual relationship between I'm not Hala. joking. Like, Wait, this... It cut, they I cut have it. to say, it probably pales in comparison to the gonna... to the physical reaction you will get if you eat a piece of challah. Yeah, that is very true. I was going to bring it back to Sufganiyan <laughs> in a second, but literally on Friday night, like, I am such a challah snob because I grew up eating a lot of challah and I can tell when it's good and when it's bad. And someone cut into this one and I was like, oh my God, that looks so doughy and homemade. And they were like eating it and I was like, oh, that looks so good and I realized how bad that sounded so I'm watching these people eat these sufganiyot and there's like chocolate oozing out of it and I'm genuinely getting just as much joy from like looking at it than I am from actually eating it because I know that I'll feel bad okay I'm gonna stop now no no I need to I need to know Alana how does your boyfriend feel about this relationship you have with Hala? um we have a funny tradition now we're like um I'll wash my hands and do the bracha and then he'll like look at me and point at his brain as in like I'm thinking of you and my mitzvah so included in the bracha. I'm flashing back to last week's uh, discussion and I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, Hallmark uh, Hanukkah movie of 2023 when Alana does a remake of American Pie but it's called Canadian Chala. <laughs> 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 oh, the topping thing, you know, brings us back to the great Bonjour Chai matzah smackdown of uh, early 2021 here um, where we have to get into interesting and more uh, original toppings um, because, because I don't think Applesauce cuts it, and I don't think sour cream cuts it either. And I think we should be going towards uh, more interesting stuff. I had cranberry relish left over from uh, thanks- Shabbat Thanksgiving that we had last week. Um, and I gave it to my kids with their latkes last night. And they were like, oh, this is awesome. Um, so, you know, we have to expand what is available. I mean, to be fair, it is also sweet. Um, but we should be thinking towards other things that go with potatoes um, to make it work. Um, but that's, um, you know... That's that. Um, I'm glad. I'm really glad to know that we are all Team Latka on this. Um, and if you want to fight us on this, uh, message us in the Slack channel or send us an email at bonjour at the cjn.ca. On November 24th, uh, a BDS motion was passed by the Student Union of the University of Toronto Scarborough campus. 
While it has some of the language common to much of the BDS motions, uh, it goes further to include kosher food provisions on campus to be in compliance with the motion and potentially tying student group funding to the motion as well. Joining us to talk about this is Tyler Samuels. Tyler is the Vice President of Engagement at Jews of Colour Canada and a recent graduate of the University of Toronto Scarborough and is no stranger to the world of the CJN. Tyler, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So what's, before we, you know, figure this, get further into the issue, um, can you just tell us a bit about what is it like to be a student, a Jewish student on campus at the University of Toronto Scarborough? Meaning how different is it? How many Jews are on campus? Um, what's the vibe in general? Paint us a picture. So when I first started at UTSC, it, it was normal. It was very normal environment or my keeper, there was no issues. Um, when I got there, the Jewish population was around 13, 15. So we were small, and but there wasn't significant issues. Up until um, in 2013, they passed their first BDS motion. And when they passed that motion, then that's when we started seeing uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, there were numerous incidences where I remember a friend of mine, he was at the Tim Hortons on campus and someone, he had worn his keeper in solidarity and someone called him a dirty Jew. And this was right after the BDS motion was passed. Can I ask what that motion was, like that first one? So the first one would, was for the adoption of the, tip, the standard BDS motion. So we boycott, divest, sanction Israel. SCSU will not purchase uh, products from Israel or companies related to Israel. Um, so it was very, I guess the term would be a moderate. And even then, when they passed that motion, we were still able to uh, apply for student union clubs funding. We could try and work with them to promote Jewish student life events. And we did many of those events, uh, especially with this BDS motion. And I think that's the difference between the 2013 motion and the 2021 motion that was passed on the 24th. Um, because their motion is... Uh, insanely radicalized motion that I would call it. Number one, kosher food would have to be supplied through a pro-BDS supplier. I have no idea where in Ontario you can find a kosher well, bakery that supports BDS. To be fair, that's um, it's not quite what they said, right? David, you, you were doing some research in this exactly. Like, what is the... What is the wording and what was the backtracking behind that? Tyler, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding about the motion, the resolution itself, was that you would have to seek kind of approval from the union first to get kosher products, be they from either New York or from Israel itself. You would have to almost go before them benevolently and ask permission. Was that what the resolution was stating? So in the motion, it says, uh, if there cannot be found a BDS supplier, there were the supplier would have to get an exemption from SCSU. So it does not mention the location or the place of where these, these kosher suppliers can be. It is only if the kosher supplier is a pro-BDS supplier 
then that is allowed. However, if they cannot find one, an exemption will be given to one that supports Israel. I'm just curious about this. So first of all, in your estimation, how many kosher students are on campus at in Scarborough? Well, to be fair, I don't think the number of how many Jews who keep kosher on the Sunni is relevant. No, I just, I, for context, because this is something that has been going around, you know, like, well, it's not really going to affect anybody, so it doesn't really matter. Yes, there are Jews on campus that observe kosher. But I, I do think okay. even if there was one Jew on that campus that kept kosher, that still does not give SUSU sure. the right to dictate where where you can and cannot buy kosher. And my follow-up to that is then the, the, the provision in that in the motion about kosher food really doesn't have any teeth, right? It's we encourage that this can happen, but we, it's almost as if they know that this isn't going to happen. We want this to show you that like, well, ideally this would be our, our, our greatest resolution, but we know that we can't deny people food. And so we want to put this in there, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't have any teeth because we know that kosher food is still going to show up on campus anyways. Well, here's, here's where people don't understand this motion. It's not about bringing kosher food onto campus. This motion is how SSU will buy kosher food. They will not buy, yeah, yeah. They, they don't buy sure. kosher food at all. Anyways, this motion will limit where they can and will get kosher suppliers for their own but purposes. Only in, the- only no. in theory. Only because in theory. they already boycott products. From Israeli companies or any company that supports Israel, they don't buy company. Products. But on the one hand, they, there's no there's no law, there's no teeth to the to that provision of kosher food. It was just first of all to be fair that they walked it back. It's they not didn't walk it back. The, the motion they anymore. they removed okay. it, so, so they removed it. They removed it completely. So, yeah. but they did not add any new language to that motion concerning it. Yeah, so they walked it no, back completely. No, they, said we don't they have will food. not remove it because they said. In a meeting yesterday that where this happened, they will be replacing the language in January. May replace it. So we don't know if they're going okay. to consult but even if it's Jews not on changed, campus. It doesn't really, like I said, if they find that there is nobody, you need Hanukkah donuts for a party, and there's nobody that fits their criteria in the greater Toronto area, they are going to give you an exception and let you have kosher food. So at the end of the day, you just keep asking. That's still problematic. You cannot know. I'm not disagreeing. The thing is... It is problematic. Well, you, I disagree with you. The fact of the matter is, if this was concerning halal so food on labor. campus, would, be, would we be arguing they need an exemption for halal food? No. And that's the problem. This is where I think that they're showing off their, they're really tipping their cards here in the sense that they're not looking at other food purveyors and asking them, are you pro or anti-BDS just because you're neutral? Yeah. They didn't go to the Tim Hortons on campus and say, hey, where do you stand vis-a-vis BDS? And they're just assuming that everybody's pro BDS except for the Jews or except for the kosher uh, catering. That's a yeah. problem. To assume that the kosher BDS people are automatically pro BDS um, uh, are anti- automatically pro-Israel or anti-BDS or Zionist or whatever it is, yeah. right? That's where you're tying your Zionism and your anti-Semitism together, right? I, I will agree 100% with that one there. Uh, Alana, you look you're, like you're trying to say something. Yeah, and also I think it just, it, it, it's a much larger issue and I, I totally am on your team here, Tyler. It's like what we talked about with the Koffler Center back in the day. It's like, 
how can you say, oh, you can't be supported by a, a federation, for example, in the cauliflower situation, whereas this, if someone is keeping kosher, there's, it's already a limited supply. And now you're saying, oh, we're going to make it harder for you and we're going to make you go through the emotional labor of having to come to us every time just to observe kashrut. Like, that's a lot to put on on a community and, and a small community at best. Exactly. And I, I think they yesterday they may have realized they went too far but they didn't correct it. And even with, if we remove the kosher aspect, there are other parts of the motions that they didn't remove. They didn't remove where in Maxwell's fines motion where it would guarantee that student groups of any political affiliation that SCSU disagrees with would still get clubs funding. They didn't re-add that because they voted to remove that section of his motion so technically, UTSC Jewish Student Life, if they applied for clubs funding, they may not be able to get it because of they removed that guarantee. And if we look at the other aspects of these motions that they either created or removed subsections out, it creates an unbalanced, unequal status for Jews there. Are we really going to say that because, for example, if JSL invited a Hillel rabbi to discuss or talk about any Jewish or cultural event at UTSC, and they wanted to book space that SESU controls, because SESU controls space, as so does the Department of Student Life, um, if we want to use SESU space, that, that Hillel rabbi couldn't because Hillel supports Israel. I'm curious if you've talked to any of the other Jewish students on campus in terms of how they feel about this resolution, how they feel it will move forward in the future, whether it's this year or next year. Have you engaged with any other Jew Jewish students? Yes, I, I, I talk to them every day and I can say- And what have they said about they're, it? They're angry, they're outraged. They feel like they are being discriminated against. This is a full circle of discrimination to them. Um, even with yesterday's meeting, they say this is basically a rehash of the BDS motion. It doesn't change anything. They may have gotten rid of, or so they claim, gotten rid of the kosher aspect, but there's no guarantee that they're going to include language in January where kosher food will be protected, there will be no exemptions, there will be no asking of kosher suppliers if they support BDS or support Israel. There's nothing. We have no idea what this future motion will say. So basically, if I can wrap this up a bit and uh, to summarize, what it seems like is that in past BDS um, motions, um, a, a Jewish student who's living on campus or who's on campus who has nothing to do with anything political, who's just going, taking classes and leaving, it doesn't really affect, it didn't necessarily affect students who were not politically involved on campus or a lot of Jewish life, whereas this motion is actually affecting, and this is what makes it troubling, is that it's affecting Jewish life for people who regardless of their political affiliations, uh, but simply because they are Jewish on campus, they are going to be missing out on various services or funding or stuff like that. Is that a fair yes, way to put it up? Yes, because we, yeah, we could, we could do it in 2013. We yeah. will be monitoring this situation. Tyler, uh, thanks so much for uh, coming on to talk to us about this and hopefully we can have you again soon.
Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom designed jewelry along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person and Eric Goldberg will help make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Bonjour High listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com. Before we get back to our next segment, uh, I just want to let you know that today we are going to have an extended Nacha segment to get into all the great Hanukkah songs, movies, food that there is to talk about. Um, it's interesting how, and there's a lot of people that have talked about this now, that Hanukkah is this moment where Jews get their like pop culture time. Um, but at the converse level of it, Hanukkah is clearly not Christmas, and so much of the Hanukkah pop culture is related to that. Uh, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I like the Hanukkah music, um, but I totally see where like Hanukkah songs are often just, you know, a parody or a cover version of something, hmm. um, you know, and or um, something that is like clearly in the vein of like it's winter and Jesus doesn't exist for us, but uh, here's Hanukkah. Doesn't exist for us. Hot but Jesus take. does exist for us, but like, you know, <laughs> Jesus is not in our... Thing. Um, yeah. In the canon. In the canon. Thank you. He was a mensch. Was he on a bench, though? Ooh. A mensch on a bench. Have you never seen the mensch on the bench? Of course I have. I don't oh, even know okay, what that... Okay. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Have you seen the elf on the shelf? That is the original. That sounds familiar, but I haven't seen it. So it started as a book. It, I've, like, heard these references, a toy but I don't know what it's from. people buy an elf and they put it on their shelf, and now it's a marketable thing, so that they then went and called it a mensch on a bench, and... Uh, you know, ah, that's it. So, gotcha. yeah. Um, what's your what's your takes on uh, Hanukkah culture in general? I mean, I really like Hanukkah music that I grew up with, like the classic Hanukkah tunes. Like, I don't, to be honest, you know, I'll listen to like the Maccabees new thing or like you know those kind of bands just because it's fun and my mom sends them to me. But like, um, my favorites are we had this like cassette tape of Hanukkah music, and I wish that I could find it because there's some songs that nobody else seems to know. Like, I, I don't know if either of you know the song, the one that goes like, how many candles, how many candles? Yeah. So that My one... My mother would sing that every night to us. That's, uh, that's not just an Alana figment of your imagination. <laughs> no, no. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong one. It's not coming to me right now. It's, it's another one that has to do with, you know, maybe it is that one. Anyway, there was that one on the, so- the tape. I actually have like this sheet music that I stole from a party the other night because I missed the singing and I was sad. And uh, I walked in and my friend's mom had just put away her guitar. So I took the sheet music. Who is, the, who is this tape by? I don't know. I need Maybe to figure it can. out. It was from like the nineties, and I, it was a woman singer. Like, and it had it was like a compilation of different songs, and sometimes kids were singing on it. If anyone who's listening right now knows what the heck I'm talking about, please let me know because I would love to find it. Was it a Montreal <laughs> artist? Let's try to drill this down a bit more. I don't know. I, I was like a four years old. Do you think okay. I'm looking at those details? We gotta find this. I would love to find it, but all, all the like my favorite Hanukkah songs were on that, and that's the thing is like to me Hanukkah songs are like a kid thing. I love to sing them in a nostalgic way, but I don't really have that much interest in like these new agey contemporary like adult Hanukkah music. To me, that feels like appropriated from Christmas. Really, what are like your stu- stuff like Matisiahu, Miracle. I think that's one of the best Hanukkah eh, songs out there. You know, there's Candlelight still by the Maccabees. Uh, this is sort of reviving everything, especially in Calgary, where you don't see too many menorahs 
right now in the window. You know, you're talking about growing up in Hampstead. It was like, I never felt like I was left out because basically every house was celebrating Hanukkah as opposed to Christmas. Here, it's a little bit different. So that's sort of the way I can like connect into my Jewish roots here. I I like that, right? I like the fact that there is more Jewish culture out there. (laughs) I wish that it was spread out over all the holidays. Um, But Passover has some moments sometimes. Like it's, it's, it's getting that like internet bump the week before Passover, right? The week before Pesach, you get all of these like Seder songs yeah. or the, the parodies are coming up. Um, but like, I don't know, uh, we just, I wish those people were just doing good Jewish music in general and not just, hey, let's have a hook that we can sell it to. And so because I know that ha- people need Hanukkah songs, I'm going to make it for that. Um, as opposed to, there's a dearth of great Jewish music out there right now, I must admit. And I wish that we yeah. were diversifying our efforts beyond Hanukkah. I don't think it should be parodies. That's the thing is I think that's maybe what you were saying, Avi, is like actual songs, like songs we could add to the musical canon. Because I like those. The parodies for me are just fun to watch or to listen to, but I don't want to sing them. I don't want that to become part of my tradition. Are, Are you familiar with Light One Candle by Peter, Paul, and Mary? Yeah. I love that one. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just That's original. It's not my thing, but it's original. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, um, we will um, play some of these. We will talk about more of these. We will throw out all of our recommendations for how to have an amazing cultural, culture-filled and nachas-filled Hanukkah uh, in our nachas segment at the end uh, where we will let loose because it's Hanukkah. I always love to see what happens when the reaction to an article is far outweighed by the original piece itself. Uh, The example from this week comes to us from CBC Ottawa, who published a word cloud showing a list of 18 words and phrases like crippled, blindsided, or selling someone down the river that may be offensive and an explanatory article that brought forth uh, voices talking about why these these words might be offensive and need to be replaced. Uh, The backlash has both been intense and a little bit ridiculous and over the top, um, if you ask me. Tyler's back to uh, help us talk through this. Um, Tyler, what's your take on this? I read the article and I there are some words that I agree. I, I think crippled, yeah, we shouldn't probably keep using that. But when it comes to tone deaf, uh, it, it's crossing the line here. And I think when we, we're living in a culture now that is so, I guess I want to use the, the word cancel culture, but words have meanings and for different people. And I think when we're attacking words because some people might not be comfortable with some of these words, I think it, it, there needs to be a more balanced, moderate approach to how we decipher what words we can use and what words we cannot use. Because uh, when I was looking at the article, things like brainstorm, blindsided, blind spot. These are common words in our vocabulary. And now it is, from this article, it's offensive to use these words for some people, which I think it's absurd. Well, you have to admit, though, that there are some words that were part of our standard vocabulary, which we don't use anymore because they are offensive. Of course. Right? So, I mean the initial intent of saying, well, let's find things which are genuinely offensive um, are problematic. So let me ask you personally. Um, some of them they were talking about were um, problematic because of people, uh, specifically for people of color, something like selling somebody down the river, right? Or grandfather clause, right? Is this something that you think about as being um, problematic to you personally? I'm 
not, I know you're not speaking for all, um, you know, people of color. Um, is this something that is an issue for a small minority of people? Really almost nobody uh, or a lot of people are actually talking about this? For me, those words, no, they don't impact me. I'm sure there are many or some uh, people of color who do find these words offensive. Um, but how I look at it, there are much greater words out there that are offensive to me, like the N-word. Um, or there was a word that was used in the original MASH book uh, to describe a black doctor. I won't say it, um, but that term is no longer used. Um, but I don't think grandfathered in is, it's offensive to me uh, because it is also a legal term. And I think, are we going to replace that term because people find offense or it has racist connotations? And I think we have to be careful. We have to be careful how we go about these things um, because it can, lead, it can go further. And I think that's the problem here. Yeah. And I was even surprised when I was reading over these 18 words you may not, should not say anymore, you know, tribe even came up as one. And I was thinking, well, we've always referred to, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel. And now they're saying we shouldn't say it of all of a sudden because it could be perceived as harm, especially for indigenous groups and cultures. So I was wondering, you know, I, I, I'm even curious whether they did enough research to always think about even the larger groups that have taken these words and have used these words for a very long time, especially as Jews itself. I also, uh, to, to like change gears slightly, what do you all think about um, goy being a slur or Jew being a slur? Because those are two things that I don't know whether I agree that they're slurs. I mean... Anyone? Let me relate something, which actually, yeah, I, I personally don't have that as big an issue with Goy. Uh, I think that, like, it's funny. I can recognize why some people, like, take it the wrong way. Um, the same way that, like, if I was a non-Jewish partner of a Jewish, uh, in a Jewish relationship, in, 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 a, in a relationship with somebody else, I would not want to be called the Shiksa unless, again, I owned it or I took it or whatever it would be or the Shagets. Um, You know, but that's... Uh, it's a term that people have a hard time with sometimes. I call John my shiksa all the time. Oh, okay. Um, well, there's, there's, there's an answer for that. Um, but um, I remember being attacked on Twitter um, by somebody for my alleged um, issue with um, the language that I was using related to trans folk um, on this show. Um, and then it devolved into something of like a total hate on Avi Fest without me being able to say anything. And the thing that th this person who was like really like arguing in a very aggressive way about sensitivity, then I, when I went to DMs, because I wasn't interested in talking about this in, 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 in public anymore, um, started using this term goys all the time over and over and over again. And I'm like, wait, you are so sensitive that you really, I can't say certain things or talk about um, gender in certain ways on a podcast. But then as soon as you go into a private chat with somebody, you're willing to use the word goys. And, and, and trust me, this individual was using it in a very derogatory manner. I'm like, so... You know, again, some of it is going to be very contextual. I don't have a problem with it, but I, I expect if you're going to be sensitive about everything, don't use the word goys in a derogatory way. I think it also, I don't know, what comes to mind for me, it, it's an individual experience, right? So for me, I like to ask people individually, like, you know, if you are of this people, like, what do you think about this? Because what I've learned from talking to a lot of my friends who, let's say, are people of color or from various communities is that there is no one answer 
as you were kind of saying before, is like, you know, Tyler might have one answer and then another friend of mine who's a person of color or a Jew of color or whoever might have a very different answer. So, I mean, I think there are words that we should not be saying. You know, growing up, when I was growing up, gay, that's so gay, was a very negative connotation. We have learned as a society to sort of not put the word gay in a negative connotation. And I really think there is some value in these words that we have taken from this article that we should move beyond. I think the difference is when it's perceived as harm to when it actually has direct harm. And Tyler, I do want to bring you back into this conversation in terms of how do we go beyond this where people are upset that the CBC came out with an article and then Rex Murphy is, you know, you know, angry about all these different words and everyone is making a kerfuffle over this. How do we actually make good use of these things to come together better as a society to say words that we shouldn't be saying, but also to have this kind of middle ground to sort of say, have we gone too far over the cliff of perceived, you know, um, cancel culture to make sure we're not going crazy all the time? Where is this happy middle ground, Tyler? Well, with Rex Murphy, he's dramatic with everything. But when it comes to a middle ground, crippled, lame, those are things, they're descriptive words that you're placing upon people who have physical disabilities or mental disabilities. Who, who would like to be called, oh, you're lame, you're, you're this, you're crippled? Like, who would say that in our modern communication? No. And, I, and that's the balance. And when people are getting upset over a CBC article discussing this, there needs to be balance here. Because, yes, some of these words are ridiculous. But we also have to have a conversation. There are a lot of words that we need to actually have a grown-up conversation and discuss how bad they are to certain aspects of a community. And I think that would need to be a logical, thought-out conversation that a lot so, of people need to have. Look, I think what you're saying is that context matters. Of course. Um, and my, my take on this is so much more that... Um, language isn't prescriptive, right? Language doesn't change because a few people or, a, you know, decide that this should change, or even a lot of people decide that, that a, a piece of language should change. Language changes when people decide to stop or start using certain words, right? And that happens when people recognize the problem behind what a given word is. Um, there is precious little, some people would argue, no, I'm not sure, and I'd love to hear your take on it, context in which one uh, who is not, uh, you know, where a white person can go and use the N-word, right? You, you, you know, there, again, very little context. Some people will say you should never, and we should write out, you know, theater plays or movies or whatever where white people actually say these words. Um, we can avoid that, or I can, we can come, come back to that. So context is important in this way, um, but it's also about thinking about where, um, convincing people. And I think that a lot of people do remain unconvinced that certain words should or should not be used. Um, what I'm curious about, actually, do you think that there are some words that are totally, you know, completely doesn't matter the context, and I'll ask everybody, and it's a good way to like wrap it up, that are completely um, off the table always. And do you think that there are a lot of words which are, there are words which are, which are contextual? Yes, I'm, I go back to the N-word because you have Black rappers who use it. You have professors in academia who use it during class, classes when they're reading plays or stories that have the word. Don't use it because that word has been used for centuries to describe black people. Are you saying that even black people shouldn't be using this word? No, they shouldn't use this word because to me, this word is not reclaimable. There's no way you can use a word that slave masters would yell and scream at you while they're beating you mm -hmm. as a source of empowerment. 
The N word so doesn't the, empower me. The idea of reclaiming doesn't exist for you, right? The way that David was saying that gay or queer has been reclaimed in a way that is like, you know, acceptable to be used in certain contexts or by certain people. Yeah. In certain contexts. I think that's the biggest difference. And I bring, you bring up a really good point because I've thought about this a lot, David, of growing up and people would say like, oh, your pencil case is so gay, like meaning like it's weak or feminine or whatever. And like that is very much not okay. Um, I'm glad that people have reclaimed it in a way that is positive. Um, for me, the like the the word that comes to mind when I think of like that will never be okay in any context for me is the R word. Like that's something that if I hear someone say it, I will call them out on it because I just don't think that's a word we need in our in our vocabulary. Um, what are the words as Jews? Sorry, I said we wrap up, but I, I'd love to hear everybody. What are the words as Jews that um, um, we shouldn't, that people don't say, um, but maybe we could reclaim mm -hmm. in some interesting way or not? I've always been a fan of like, we should reclaim kike, you know, like, or how's my Jaime doing? You know, I don't know. Maybe it could be fun. Jaime, because <laughs> it reminds you of grandfather. Your, your, your Zadie Jaime is best friend there, but, but kike exactly. you don't want to touch. Exactly. Nobody should. I don't want to touch that one. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. I have no, I have no I have no negative connotation to kike. It does feel like a very old forties fifties word. So if someone's if someone yelled it at me down the street, hey kike, I think I'd get a little uh, nervous for sure. Are you saying like? But I I don't really have a like. Deep Abby, are you saying to... like as Jews we reclaim it for ourselves Maybe. or that other people could say it? I'm okay with a good old fashioned. I am a Jew and that's it. Fair enough. Yeah. So this is great. Um, thank you, Tyler. It's been great having your perspective on these things, and uh, hopefully we won't have to revisit this one again um, anytime soon. Thank you. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, you can do that by either emailing us at bonjour at the cjn.ca to let us know what you thought about either of our segments with Tyler or join and chat about it in our Slack channel. If you haven't yet joined, you can do that by sending us an email at bonjour at the cjn.ca. That's bonjour at the cjn.ca to join our Slack channel, The Frozen Chosen, um, and be able to chat about this or any of the other topics on the show. So now is the time in our show when we normally talk about Nachas, the uh, one thing that gets us through the week or that got us through the week uh, that makes us feel good. Um, but this week, there is so much Nachas that we decided we have to like spend some extra time on this. Um, let's go around. Let's start finding out what our Nachas has been around Hanukkah or stuff in general. Uh, Alana. Start us off. Um, so I live in a Moisha house again in, in Toronto, as I believe I have mentioned, but if not, I live in a Moisha house again because I did in Vancouver. And so I, by proxy, I'm doing a lot of Hanukkah um, just as a baseline on top of the many, many other events that I could be going to, but I'm choosing to not because I don't want to overwhelm myself. Somebody in the Jewish community here in Toronto literally made a spreadsheet of young professionals Hanukkah events happening this week. And there's like five or six every night, except Monday. For some reason, everyone decided to skip Monday. So on the weekend, I already had, um, on, on uh, Sunday at my house, we had uh, a candle lighting, and then we did a Torah study about uh, the story of Judith, um, which was really interesting because I didn't really remember that much about Judith. Um, and then we watched the Hanukkah Rugrat special, which made me very happy. It is just as good as it was last year. And, um, and then I went to one at the other Moisha house, the Moisha house annex had a candlelight in the other night with lots of sufganiyot that I could not eat and latkes that I also could not eat. Um, and then this Saturday night, we're having a big, um, party at our house, uh, with both houses combined. Um, I, yeah, I just, uh, there's a lot going on. I've been lighting every night, but I just don't know that I can handle, um, parties every eight day, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. 
How about you, David? Well, this is probably personal for me, but uh, my nachis is for my John this week. Basically, as I was driving back from Medicine Hat over the weekend, he went out to find all the Hanukkah candles. Now, it might be easy to find Hanukkah candles in any old shop in Montreal or Toronto, but there are very few options here in Calgary. So John first went to the Northwest Indigo. They didn't have any candles. Then he had to go all the way down south to the other Indigo. He then had a back and forth with the sales clerk on how to actually spell Hanukkah. And miracle of miracles, he finally got the last bundle of candles before they closed at 6 p.m. that night. So thank you so much, John, for doing the legwork for that one. Okay, uh, I'll go with a personal one also uh, before we get into some of the other cultural bits. Um, I don't buy Hanukkah gifts, as we all know. Um, I'm the big Grinch that stole Hanukkah. I don't either. Um, but my wife does. <laughs> and uh, instead of buying a bunch of small little things, this was actually my, a bit of my influence. I was like, I'm sick of having things that cost 20 bucks that like litter the house within a week um, that like are multiple things. Uh, we said we're not getting anybody anything uh, that is unique and individual, but we're pooling all of the gifts all together into one thing. Um, and uh, the kids got an Oculus VR uh, headset and they've been playing with it. <gasps> it's like I'm so they're jealous. having a blast um, and that's keeping them occupied and hopefully that will keep them occupied for a very long time. Um, so yeah, there's an Oculus in our house. Thanks. Um, uh, to uh, our lovely overlords at Meta for uh, providing us with entertainment. Um, that's our nachos. You know, it'd be really cool if they made like a like a Hanukkah story VR game. So it's like not only do your kids get to play on their VR set, but they like relive the story of the Maccabees. Ooh, Too much? Okay. Maybe. I think that'd be a cool educational way of Too teaching violent? kids about holidays. I, I, I would do it only if there's a part two where the Maccabees actually, the Hashmonim actually go corrupt and they become the bad guys in the in the story, and, <laughs> um, which is actually historically accurate. Yeah, weren't uh, they like always just that. corrupt? Weren't no, they like no, the, the no, rebels, they the extremists? Noble. They started very noble. No, they were the moderates. You should read my article about this, but um, another time. But power corrupts always. Who's got another nachos for us? Sure, I'll go. Um, I'm a big fan of the show Big Mouth on Netflix. So in an episode coming up for this season, Andrew wishes that he wasn't a Jew. His wish actually comes true in a dream. But then he actually realizes how great being Jewish is. So um, check out Big Mouth. Okay, which one of you were a fan of the OC back in the day? I've seen a handful of episodes. I really wasn't into contemporary TV as a teen. I was like, I watched... You black de- and white you were deprived shows. as a child. Do you not remember like Chrismica? Like that was the oh, first yeah. time like, I know that it exists. Mentioned? I just, I literally never got into any of those kind of shows until like my 20s. And not even, I still because haven't watched the, it. I've seen it. That episodes. was the first time like I remember the melding of Christmas and Hanukkah because of the family. He's he's raised half Jewish, half yeah, Catholic. Yeah. Adam Brody. Uh, yeah, I, I know things. Adam Brody. Exactly. So it was like the first time you saw the melding of these two kinds of holidays coming together. And it was in the first season. It's episode 11. Check it out again for the best Chrismica ever. All right. Uh, I um, am not always a big fan of parodies, but when they're done well, they can be done really well. Um, there was a song put out by um, The Late Late Show, um, and a, it was a last year or two years ago. Uh, it was called A Week in a Day. The group was called Boys to Menorah, um, and it was a spot-on parody of uh, a Boys to Men song, a 90s um, R&B song, complete with the video with the rain coming down. Um, let's play a bit of it now. It's just so much fun. Candle fire. Oh, girl, you spin me like a dream. Then you wrap 
me like a place and rock me like a cradle. Heartwarming. They have fun with the blessings. They have fun with the video. It's um, I. It's spot on. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's because it's actually listenable. My kids want to listen to this song as a song. Um, I was like, yes, yes, we're gonna soon get you into yeah. regular '90s R&B, and uh, that'll be next. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Boys to Menorah. Um, the song is called A Week in a Day. That's my next nachos. I want to give a shout out to um, an Orthodox podcast. I listened to their latest episode on Hanukkah. Um, which fed into a lot of the stuff that Avi and I have been writing about, about being Christmas, I mean, Hanukkah Grinches, or no, Christmas Grinches. I can't even, who knows? Um, they had a, a comedian on named Judy Gold, and I'd never heard her before. She's hilarious. So it's the- What? Yeah. That's a Shonda. Yeah. Listen to what? it. What? She's a Montrealer. She's so good. She's the best. It's a I, Shonda. Uh, anyway, I, it was my first time hearing her, um, and I found out that she has a podcast as well that I'm definitely going to check out. I subscribed to it yesterday. Um, after listening to that first segment. So if you want to uh, check it out, um, go check out Unorthodox Podcast. It made me happy and it validated all my feelings about why Hanukkah is not Christmas. David, what do you got for us? Uh, well, if we're, I think I can one-up you, Avi, on basically the songs because last week I mentioned the Maccabees came out with a new song, but I actually think this is the best one they got, Candlelight. I'll play you a little clip. Because I'll wait for stars tonight So I'll just light the fire, set the night alight one step for the fun, chop the count, let the dreidels roll. Night two, get up and move, dance party in the living room. Singing songs for the Maccabee from dawn until night three. Night four, say Mosur, getting showered in gifts galore. Yeah, it's a fun song, but it's also still a parody. Sure, it is a parody. Then I will go back to Miracle by Matis Yahu and Peter, Paul, and Mary. Light One Candle. Those are original and those sure. are the best. Good original songs. Absolutely. Can I can I throw some more songs in? I, you know what? I'm going to throw a whole bunch of stuff in here, both at the parody level and the original. Um, I'm going to get these out of the way. Um, so first is the like, and if they're great. Like Spotify, Apple Music have great playlists with good Hanukkah songs and not so good ones. But I mean... Yeah. Oh, Hanukkah, given the Jack Black treatment, was a lot of fun. Um, Maos Tsur, Leslie Odom Jr. Oh, right? yeah, that one's really that, good. He's that so was like, good. Because he, he's something. And then his, his co-Hamiltonian, right, David Diggs, Puppy for Hanukkah, so much fun. Um, right? Like, that's a good song. Um, I love how many Jews here? are in Hamilton. It just makes me happy. Anyway. The... the the bands that you wouldn't think that are going to do something Hanukkah related, but then put their own spin on it, like uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings doing like Eight Days of Hanukkah, which was a lot of fun also. Um, the There's a, oh my God, uh, maybe I should save this one for its own. There's like a whole metal band, a metal album, sorry, called really? Gods of Fire. Hanukkah Gone Metal and it's like eight original Whoa. songs all done in a heavy metal like style about Hanukkah so like it has uh what what's some of the track names No Gelt No Glory The <laughs> Quest for the Latka Oil Spin for the Blood of Our Elders <laughs> 
right? This is like, you know, quality content. It's actually I'm not. not. In... It's, about, it's, it's about as wackadoodle I... as it gets. But I mean, like, you know. That sounds really epic. Like, I don't listen to metal, but I kind of want to go listen just to see what that would even sound like. Here. made with like epic guitars and blast beats like you know there's something about that honestly like maybe appropriate like maybe more appropriate than any other genre to cover this holiday where it's like Ooh. you know like the maccabees like going and, and fighting and restoring you know so you're arguing that the best hanukkah songs should be metal songs the same way for example that the best passover songs should be reggae songs right because of like the leaving <laughs> hey, I didn't the say exodus that. from egypt and you're <laughs> You're arguing for genres. What 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 genre did like what musicals? What what holiday gets Broadway musicals? What holiday gets Broadway it's like musicals? Show tunes. What's a good show tune? I'm, I'm, David, I'm, I'm searching my brain right oh, now. Come on, um, it's obvious. It's Purim. Okay, that that's the answer. What kind of songs would it be? <laughs> I don't know. Hey hey, it's Purim time. It's Purim time. Get together. Let's that doesn't sound like show tunes, tunes at all. <laughs> Not at all. It's like a polka song. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was my audition, and I I, I guess like, I didn't get the job. Not, that's for another play. That's for a different holiday genre. <laughs> Alana, bring us back here. What else do you have? Um, well, there's a book that I that I really like. I, I grew up. Uh, I don't know if either of you got into the Lemony Snicket uh, a series of unfortunate events, but it's one of my favorite book series of all time. And Daniel Handler, uh, who writes the books, is a Jew, and he actually has a, a kids book that's so good, The Lutka Who Couldn't Stop Screaming by oh, Daniel yes. Handler. Very very good book. Um, and and it's it's a great it's Wait, a great. Are you going to do a full recitation for us, please? A recitation of the I book. Will, I will. Ooh, yes. Yes. Right now. I don't have it right here. I I actually do own it, but it's at my mother's house in Montreal, so this is not oh, helpful. Okay. But I do love reading his well, words out loud. Let me tell you, I have all of his other books here. I know where my copy is, and I will put it up on the screen. And uh, we oh my god, please! I would love to do that. Um, not joking. Okay. Um, stay tuned for that. David, you got any last nachas for us? Uh, well, for the upcoming CJN article online, I did a bunch of reviews for the Hallmark Holiday movie. So you can check out the top three that I gave that we discussed. It's all on a point system between one being the least Sufganiyot and five being the ultimate extreme Sufganiyot. What's a five Sufganiyot like kind of movie? Uh, you'd, ha- you'd have to read the article to see which one I gave. No, I'm not talking about the Hanukkah ones. Like, what's a movie that you would call like a five Sufganiyot movie in the regular movie world? In the regular movie world, <laughs> The Godfather. I don't know. No, I'm saying, does like Eight Crazy Nights count as like eight, like as like like a five Sufganiyot or a one Sufganiyot? I haven't seen it, uh, so I okay, cannot fine. comment on that. Fair enough. Okay, I'm gonna. Close us off with two quick, um, uh, two quick last bits of nachos. One is the donuts from Pizza Gourmetti in Montreal are amazing. Um, they are much more in the baked rather than fried thing. So our producer Michael Freeman, who is kind of thinks that um, baked donuts are kind of weak ass. Um, 
you just have to think about it as more of like something cakey um, than like, you know, this deep fried, like heavy something or other. Um, I believe they are fried, but they're still very light and fluffy. Um, but the toppings are great. It, it just such, and I'm not the biggest donut fan as we heard way, way back in the beginning, um, but he makes amazing donuts. Go check out donuts from Pizza Gourmetti. I believe he even sometimes will make them on special order for you, not on Hanukkah, if you happen to be around um, and you ask nicely. Um, but ultimately, uh, our last Nachas is going to be the growing CJN circle. Um, it's a chance to support the work that we're doing here at Bonjour Chai and within the larger CJN world. Uh, normally, the CJN circle takes uh, $100 a year. Um, sorry. Normally, the CJN circle is $100 a year, but if you are in our Slack, you can ask us for a promo code in the Slack channel um, to take $36 off right now. Um, if you're not already in the Slack channel and you want the code, um, join. How do you join the Slack channel? Send us an email. Bonjour at the cjn.ca. Um, and this is only the first of many perks that will come for the Frozen Chosen, the people that make up our Slack group. Uh, send us an email at bonjour at the cjn.ca to join now. Um, get a code to join the CJN circle um, around this time of year. It's a great time. It's important for us to be able to uh, move this uh, initiative that we're doing forward. Uh, the CJN is back, um, but it needs your support more than ever. And um, join the CJN circle. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week of December 3rd. Shabbat Hanukkah, Shabbat Rosh Chodesh, Shabbat Miketz, all the Shabbats all in one. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our technical production is by Andre Goulet, and our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and our distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our new page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all of our episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do leave a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice. And as always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Sklar. The thing that was being born was a lutka, a word which here means potato pancake. Lutkas are a traditional part of the celebration of Hanukkah, a holiday commemorating a miraculous Jewish military victory. Nearly everything in this world is born screaming, and the lutka was no exception. Even though the lutka wasn't conceived and born the way you and I were conceived and born, but instead was fashioned from grated potatoes, chopped onion, beaten eggs, and a dash or two of salt. Once these ingredients were properly mixed, the latka was slapped into a pan full of olive oil, heated to a very high temperature. And this is when it began to scream. Ah!